0: right thanks. maybe no I may be a little hello yeah did I do what I was supposed to do are we good okay a little shorter than our female worship leader so what um, we're glad you guys are here this morning I'm David Scott I am the youth pastor here at Stonebridge and I'm excited uh, to get to share with you guys um, Oh, I was going to, yeah. So, um, I was getting there. Well, you know this now, but if you're in elementary school, uh, we have pads for you to, if you'll raise your hand if you're in elementary school, uh, we've got these packets that we can give you. So, if you're not as excited about hearing me as I am, as about speaking to you, you can grab one of those, and um, you'll enjoy this hour or so, one way or another. So, I'm not going to speak for an hour. Uh, Another thing is... uh, It was interesting when when you were sharing the the slide that came up that said community transformation or transformation through community, uh, it's one of the things that we believe in um, here as a church. And I loved when you shared about the woman who you said uh, she wasn't going to be able to do it on her own, right? She had all these big rocks and and if they were busted up, she could use them um, to God's glory really in her life and in her community, but she wasn't going to be able to do it by herself. Um, and that's a, it's a biblical principle, um, that there are things in our lives that if, um, our community of people gathers around us and sometimes it's rocks that need to be busted up and sometimes it's things need to be lifted or things that need to be unearthed. Um, but that's how we're transformed and one of the ways we do that here is through small groups and small groups are going to start up again, uh, next month and we need more small group leaders and for us, um. You may hear small group leader and think teacher, and you may say I'm not a teacher, but for us small group leaders are, are really more pastors um, of smaller groups of people. And so you can get 10 people and meet under a tree if you want to, like the people did uh, in the slide, or you can meet in a home um, and just look at the Word of God, or maybe it, it's a book study. But if that's something you're interested in helping lead, you can find David or Kim um, just as, as soon as you are able so that we can start Making sure that small groups are ready uh, for the people who are longing for that community in the spring, I think that's it. Am I good? Yeah, so you're not looking at me anymore, so I guess I'm good. All right um, if you have a Bible you can open ad- you can open it up to Luke chapter ten. We're going to look at verses thirty eight through forty two um, I'll read them and then we'll pray and get going. starting in verse thirty eight it says Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have a better part for us. God, I thank you that there's something better than just being busy with life. Um, That there's something better than just running around and and trying to get things done and trying to look right, God. But that there's something that you have specifically set apart for our lives and said, this is the better thing. And God, I think you also, that you've promised us that if we'll choose that, um, that it won't be taken away from us. God, I pray today, uh, during this time, as we look through these scriptures, that you would guide our hearts to the better thing. In Jesus' name, amen. I make New Year's resolutions. I'm a New Year's resolution maker. And those of you who don't probably hate me. Because people who don't like New Year's resolutions really don't like them. Have you ever noticed that? Like people who don't like to make them, and people who do like them really love them. Who? Anybody, are you resolution makers? Any other people willing to confess in the house, I'm a resolution. I make them every year. I think they're fun. I think they're goofy. Like one year I decided I love milkshakes. I wasn't gonna drink a milkshake for the entire year. So that was my, and, and then I broke the end of the year, actually at the Beddingfield's house, at Mike Beddingfield's house. I ran out to Steak and Shakes while I was celebrating at Mike's house and got a milkshake, and it was great. Um, so I like to make them. My wife hates to make them. Uh, A few years ago, David David was showing me uh, some of his uh, old end-of-the-year sermons, and a few years ago, he looked at the top 10 New Year's resolutions, and so I thought I'd revisit them and see if any of those are your resolution this year, okay? So obviously, lose weight is a big one. Um, Then getting organized, that's never going to happen in my life. I gave that one up. I'm more likely to not drink a milkshake than I am to ever get organized, no matter how many years you give me. Spend less, save more. Is that anybody? Is that their thing this year? You want to get out of debt or you want to save money? Enjoy life to the fullest. That just sounds almost silly. That, that was like this year. I didn't want to do that last year, but this year I'm going to do it. Um, you want to stay fit and healthy. Uh, learn something exciting. You had learned something new, but now people want to learn something exciting because they've realized there's nothing new anymore. They've embraced that, so they just want to be excited. Quit smoking. People apparently are trying to do that. People are still smoking, which I think is stupid. I think if you're around my age, we grew up in school and all they told you was smoking kills you. And I don't know how people my age smoke, but people still want to quit smoking. Help others in their dreams. If that's you, you're, uh, you're just a more selfless person than me. That's never been my resolution. Um, fall in love. That was, I think yours was choose your soul or find your soulmate. So maybe you're more comfortable with falling in love because you don't believe it. And uh, spend more time with family. That's probably a good one. That's probably something we should all do. So those were the top 10. Anybody Anybody got a resolution for this year already that doesn't fall in that category? Anybody got one? Anything you're afraid to share it because you think we're going to come back in January and say, did you do it? <laughs> anybody? Nobody? Is, have you guys already made your resolutions? I've got one of mine is I've never done the read the Bible in a year thing, and so I'm going to try to do that this year. I'm going to give it a shot. So we'll see if that lasts or not. But you guys don't have any? No resolutions? All right, that's fine. So you're not resolution makers. That's okay. Um, I was thinking about this, and I was and a couple of things I was thinking about resolutions. One is I was thinking, do they matter or are they important? Because some people really don't like them, and, and so I didn't know if we should talk about them because I didn't know. If, if they're really that important. But I think ultimately a resolution is saying, I want something more or I want something better. And I think that's good. And I think that's especially good as people who follow Jesus or who believe that God's kingdom should be coming more and more and more every day. Because I think we look around ourselves and we would say that things are not as they should be. Right? Like, I, and, and if we look around ourselves and, things, and say things are not as they should be, then we don't want to be apathetic, but we want to want more or better. So I think ultimately, I don't know if New Year's resolutions are the way to go, but I think resolutions are good and then the other thing I thought about was what what makes a person the type of person who, who makes a resolution and I think the type of person who makes a resolution they're probably people that read a lot of self-help books right like we we're, we're the, the we're goal-oriented people we make resolutions we like setting goals and meeting them we're probably competitive because it's almost like a little competition with ourselves to see if we can get there generally people who make resolutions are positive I think they're optimistic people because you're not going to make a resolution that you don't think that you could accomplish, right? You're not just going to make a resolution or you're definitely not going to proclaim a resolution that you think you're just setting yourself up to fail. So I think people who make resolutions are probably optimistic um, and they probably think that they possess the power to achieve their goals, right? They probably think, okay, I have it within me to accomplish this thing in the coming year. When, and, and the reason that for me relates to this idea of Mary and Martha, you're probably familiar with this passage, but I I feel like Martha was probably a resolution maker. I don't know if they did New Year's resolutions, I don't know if that was a thing, but I feel like Martha was the kind of person who would make resolutions, right? Like she had, Martha like had a list of things every day, you know, list people, and she was going to check things off the list, and so I imagine that Jesus is coming, and he's going to stay in Martha and Mary's house, and so Martha has her list of things to do, but the problem is that list people, goal-oriented people are also tend to be very busy people, Right, because they fill their lives with a bunch of activity. And and the the big problem with filling your life with a bunch of activity is that life never stays within the margins, does it? Like it's very unpredictable. One of the reasons New Year's resolutions don't tend to last is because you can't predict every day. A lot of resolutions don't take into account that life may change. And so if you want to be healthy, you may say, I'm going to get in the gym, you know, four times a week. But your kids get sick or your job hours change, or you can't afford to go to a gym, or whatever, you're just tired, or or something happens. And so life happens, and it expands beyond your margins. And so I imagine Martha has her list of things that she wants to get done before Jesus comes to the house. Any of you guys have relatives over for the holidays? Anybody have relatives in town in your house for the holidays? So you get those lists, right? And you're like, before people come over, these are the things we want to do. But then life happens, and we're always running around at the last minute. Right, like we're always trying to get the things done. And so that's what I see Martha doing is that she had these ideas, right? Like Martha wanted to get all these things done, and they were applause-worthy things, right? She wanted Jesus to have a nice place to stay. She wanted to make sure that food was ready, right? She's focused. She's goal-oriented. She's responsible. She's a rule follower. Martha knew that in their society that her job was to make sure that the setting was good, in her society, so that the men could sit with Jesus and learn from him. That's not, I'm not making an ethical statement. I'm just saying in her society, she kind of lived in this area over here, and they met in that area over her, and and that's what she wanted to do. And and then it's easy in this story to look at Mary and think Mary's the opposite of everything Martha is, right? Because you have Mary set up, and, and, and Mary's just sitting there. Right, like Martha's running around. You, I mean, have you done that? Have you ever been in that experience? If you're an older sibling, you've been in that experience. I was a younger sibling, so I just sat there. But you had the, you know, like you always felt like you were running around and you were having to do everything, and they're just sitting there. And, and that's what, it's easy to think Mary is just a slacker, right? Like it's easy to be like, Mary just doesn't care. She just doesn't, she is not interested in what needs to be done. She is not interested in following rules because she's just breaking protocol by sitting with Jesus down here with all these men, and Mary's here too, and she's sitting with him. She's not goal-oriented, right? She just seems like the opposite of Martha. But but really, if you think about it and you think about Jesus' response, Mary is focused, right? But she's focused on one thing instead of many things, right? Like Mary is goal-oriented. But the goal that she's oriented to is the presence of Jesus. And she is responsible. Mary's decided that there's lots of things that need to be done. But there's one thing when Jesus is in the house that supersedes all those things. See, Martha's resolved. Right? Martha has resolved. She wants to get things done. And and she wants to make things right and make things good. But Mary's resolved too and and Mary's resolution isn't like some sort of new year's resolution to better herself right Mary's resolution is this laser-like commitment to this one thing where she is willing to exclude all of those other things you know cuz I'll bet that Mary knew that that people in society kind of liked Martha more right Martha's well-rounded she can cook, she can clean, she can do all these things over here. She, she, she's a, she's a, a woman in that society that's well-respected. She's probably appreciated. Oh, Martha, you worked so hard on the food. Oh, Martha, the house looks lovely. And that Mary is a bit of a specialist, right? Like Mary has decided that she doesn't care about being well-rounded. And I'll bet that a lot of people were like Martha, that they would look at Mary the same way Martha did. Martha looks at her and she's essentially, she kind of calls her out to Jesus. She tattles to Jesus on her sister. Right, She runs to Jesus and she says, Jesus, look at her. She's doing nothing. And I'm sure Mary felt that, that kind of creeping sense of like, I should probably be doing these other things. Everybody wants me to do these things. And it took a real resolve for Mary to say, I'm not going to be concerned about those things because something specific and different is happening right now. Someone more important is in my house. And in the end, in the passage, Jesus actually says that Mary makes the more effective choice. To me, it's one of the most incredible statements that I, that I hear Jesus make in the Gospels. Is that he starts out and he says to Martha, he says, listen, Martha, you're busy and anxious about a ton of stuff. And you don't have to raise your hand today if that would describe you, but I imagine that it might. I know it describes me. I get real busy and real anxious with a lot of things. And, and he starts to say to her, he says, you know, there's only a few things that are required. And then Jesus almost kind of edits himself, right? He corrects himself. And he actually says, no, actually, there's only one thing that's required. There's just one thing that matters. Could you imagine if all you had to do was remember one thing? I have a terrible memory. You don't want to send me shopping. I'm, it's not going to work out. I'm going to be like Jack coming back with the magic beans when he goes out with the cow. Right, like I'm not good at it. Jane has to text and call and do all these things and I still forget stuff. If she sent me out to get one thing, I would probably have like an 85% chance of getting it right. It would be much easier. I would be much less anxious if I had one thing on my shopping list. Sixth graders, if, imagine if you had to take a test but there was only one question. would that be better? Right, like imagine that at work you had an assignment that was due at work but there's only one thing that you had to remember one thing you had to do. Imagine if, if, if to keep your house clean over the holidays, all you had to do was clean one thing, one dish, one room even, right? It's impossible. It doesn't work that way, right? But imagine if there was only one thing. It's, it's, it's one of the most incredible statements that Jesus would look at us, the God of all creation, would look at us and say, you know what, only one thing is required. And it's this reminder to me that God is not a God who loves lots of rules, right? We're in the garden. God has one rule, right? Jesus comes and he says, only one thing is required. And I would say this to you, it's a bit of an aside, but but, but it goes along with, with where we're headed. But if you are busy, if, if when you think of following Jesus, when you think of giving your life to God, what you think of are all these things that you have to change, all these things that you have to do, all these things that you have to be responsible for, I would say that you've probably missed it. If Jesus looks at us and says only one thing is required, and when you think about being a follower of him, you get busy, or you get anxious, or you even tend to get overwhelmed, I would say that you may be missing it because he says that only one thing matters and that Mary picked it. Think about Jesus' rhythm in life. Jesus had a full life, right? Would you say Jesus had a full life? Jesus had a complete life, he had a whole life. But I don't know if you look at him in the scriptures if you would ever describe his position as busy. I feel like Jesus' life was full. I feel like he was always doing something meaningful, but I don't feel like he was ever just running around trying to get things done before the last minute. And he had less time to do what he did than most of us do. And he was never busy. And I was talking to David this week, and I asked him, I said, what are some things that you see God calling Stonebridge to this year? And one thing he said was fruitfulness, to focus on fruitfulness. And when I think about fruitfulness, I think about something you actually said to me in your office last week, which you said, we're not going to get more hours in the day. Right? Like, we're not going to get more hours of the day. You're not going to have more hours in 2013 than you had in 2012. You're actually going to have less because it was a leap year. Now you're really anxious, aren't you? You're like, I'm wasting my time listening to you. So you're, you're not going to get more hours this year. It's not going to happen for you. So So... The the resolution can't just be, I'm going to do more. The resolution from God would be, I'm going to choose fruitfulness over busyness this year. And I think one of the specific messages this morning for some people in here is that you need to simplify. That you're, you're like Martha. It's not, you're running around and you're doing these things and people are saying, wow, look how much they do. Wow, you know, like you ever do that where you kind of share your schedule just so people can see? I go, I woke up. My dad does that every day. Like my dad, my dad if I talked to my dad on the phone or when I lived at home, I would say, oh, I'm tired. And he'd say, I got up at five this morning. I'd say, great. <laughs> like, I don't know. But it's always this sense of like, I did all these things. And there's some sort of metal if you look frustrated and anxious and busy, isn't there? There's some sort of metal that our society gives you. But God doesn't give out that medal. God says one thing is required, and his goal for us is not that we would have more things to do, but that the hours that we spend would be more fruitful. And for some of us, that's going to take simplifying. It's going to take hearing Jesus say to us this year, like he said to Martha, you're busy with too much. You're busy with too much, and you're anxious about it. You need to simplify. You need to choose. The one thing that really matters. So, what's the one thing that really matters? Because that's what it comes down to for me. Is okay, well, what did Mary pick? Right? And it's it's a bit nebulous, but but what I think you can get back to is that Mary chose, and I'm gonna be a little poetic here, I'm sorry, but Mary chose to gaze on the beauty of God. That's what Mary chose to do. She chose to sit in the presence of the perfect one instead of trying to make everything else perfect for him. Does that make sense? Instead of trying to get everything ready and say, God, look at all of these things that I'm doing for you and, and now I'm going to show people how, how much I love you because uh, I don't know, whatever your thing is because my house is clean and so people can come over and spend time there. I'm going to do it because I'm, I'm going to get in shape so that people know that my body is a temple and that they can see that I'm living to your glory. I'm going to go all organic even though last year my family ate at Chick-fil-A five times a week this year. It's all organic and I'm cooking at home and then people will know that we care about ourselves that way. Instead of doing all those things, Mary said, instead of trying to make myself perfect for God, I'm going to spend time focusing on the perfect one. I'm going to sit at his feet. Psalm 24, I always think about Psalm 24 when, whenever I read this passage. And it says in verse 7, it says, One thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. And to seek him in his temple. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord. What one thing is required of us? To gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Why? Why would that be the one thing? If I was going to pick one thing for God to tell us to do, it would probably be, it might be feed people who are hungry. Right? It might be cure diseases. Right, there's all these things that I could think of. And if Jesus would say only one thing is required, why would it be to sit in the presence of God and gaze on his beauty? Well, well, one thing that I've found to be really true over the years is that you you will become like what you look at the most. You will look like what you look at the most. You will look like who or what you spend the most time with. Jillian, you throw the pictures up there. Look at this. You ever notice people start to look like their pets? Right? Here's some pictures of people with their pets. Go ahead and show the next one, right? Here's a good one. Go ahead and show the really creepy one. Look at that. That's so scary. <laughs> She's hiding ears under there. It's creepy. People become like who they spend time with, right? You ever notice like how spouses start to look alike over the years? You ever know, you're like, that's so weird. Are they related? Are they brother and sister? Or are they married? It's weird. You become like who you or what you spend time with. My dad is, has not missed a Georgia football game probably since the late 80s. My dad's house is full of University of Georgia stuff. My dad broke his wrist one time and he got a red cast with a G on. My mom painted a G on one side and a bulldog on the other and Mark Rick signed it. This is my dad. If I asked you, where do you think my dad went to school? You'd say the University of Georgia. No, you'd be wrong. If I said, where do you guys think my dad grew up? You'd probably say Georgia. No, you'd be wrong. He grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. But my dad, after he moved to Georgia, he spent so much time watching Georgia football that it began his life. That's what it reflects. This is is a real story. My dad has, not wearing a stitch of anything that says Georgia on it, has had people, random strangers come up to him in public settings and start talking to him about Georgia football. It's bizarre. He looks a little bit like Vince Dooley, if you've ever seen him. It's weird. You look like what you look at. You reflect what you spend the most time with. Uh, Jane and I, a few days ago, we saw Les, Les Miserables. I can't say it. Les Miserable. Right? You guys familiar with this? Okay. Les Mis. We'll just say Les Mis. Captain Cosgrove has it. We're going to say Les Mis. All right. So we went and saw it, and it was this great film. I don't know if you've seen it. I'd never really seen it. I was kind of familiar with the story. I saw the movie. I was going to let you know, if you're married to somebody who cries, they might cry a lot. But Jane was willing to sit in there until I got it together, and we were able to leave. So it's not a joke. When you laugh, it hurts more. Um but in this movie, if you haven't seen it, at the beginning of this movie, you have this character, Jean Valjean, right? And Jean Valjean um, has gone to prison, and I'm not going to get into the whole story. But the opening scene is these guys, these prisoners that are shackled to these chains, and they're doing all this heavy labor. And the song, they just say again and again, look down, look down. And the idea of the song is that these guys, their lives are meaningless, They're never going to find anything good again. They're always going to be slaves. They're always going to be seen as criminals for the rest of their lives. And there's no point in looking up at anything because there's nothing to look up to in their lives. And so they should just look down. And then in one of the following scenes, spoiler alert, uh, but it's still early, so don't worry. John Valjean has this experience of God's grace. And there's this beautiful scene where he's looking up in prayer. and, And he's trying to believe that he could be more than a criminal that he could be more than a slave, what was drilled into him for years and years and years. And it's by looking up at God that he changes. And his life becomes a life of grace. You know, most resolutions are about becoming more beautiful, right? Most resolutions, they're about making yourself a more beautiful person, making your life a more beautiful life, whatever it is that you think of as beauty. But the problem is that most of our resolutions are focused on finding our beauty in things that are broken, right? So if I could just, I could just get myself at the right weight or the right level of fitness, then I'm really going to be beautiful. And you chase after that again and again and again, but it's not going to make you whole because it's coming from a broken people and a broken place and even a broken definition of what beauty is. Right? And, and that's where Martha ends up. Martha, it's not that the things that she focused on are bad, but it's that they become such a focus for her that broken things become where she finds satisfaction. i got to get the house clean. i got to get this ready. i got to get this ready. And so what happens to Martha is that her overflow is brokenness. She's focused on broken things around her, and so her overflow is brokenness. It's anger at her sister. It's frustration. It's the opposite of what Jesus wants to bring, which is relationship and wholeness. She's focused on brokenness, and so her response is broken. Mary is focused on the beautiful one, and Jesus declares that her response is beautiful. We were made, I believe this deep within me, that we were made to long for beauty. I think the reason that we chase after it in so many broken ways is that we were made to long for it. The reason we chase after this idea of completeness and wholeness is that we were made to long wholeness but here's the thing we were also made to find it and we will not find it by looking at broken or incomplete things we will only find it by looking at the beautiful whole one and i think for some people today that may be what you need to hear is that you have longed and longed and longed for beauty in your soul or beauty in your life or peace in your soul or or shalom it is one of the things the Bible calls it, this, this wholeness, the broken pieces of your life being put back together, and you've continually been frustrated. And the reason that you've been frustrated is that you're looking at all these earthly things to get it. And it's not going to come by way of that. It's going to come by looking at and prioritizing the beautiful one. And, and that's really what the world needs. The world doesn't need for its salvation more people to eat organic, right? It, it doesn't. It's fine, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not really what the world needs to address its brokenness. The world doesn't need more in-shape people to address its brokenness. The world doesn't even need uh, more financially responsible people to address its true brokenness. What the world needs is beauty and wholeness, and we find that as we prioritize the presence of God. We don't find that as we get our house clean so that people think that we have a great, beautiful home. And when we prioritize that, we become that. 2 Corinthians 3. Paul says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. So as we spend time gazing on God, we are transformed into His likeness. As we spend time gazing on the beautiful one, we become beautiful. As we spend time gazing on the complete and whole one, we become complete and whole. All of the world's beauty is fleeting. Almost everything can and will be taken away, either through your brokenness or somebody else's or just a matter of time. Right? We have this quote that's, uh, my, my wife has this quote wall in our guest bathroom, and one of the quotes says this, and I think it's to remind me. It says, cleaning your house while you're with small children around is like brushing your teeth while eating Oreos. We're just not going to win. With with a four-year-old boy in the house, we're never going to win the the (laughs) clean-the-house battle. He's always going to win. He's quicker and he's small and he can get into places where we can't find him. And he leaves stuff out. I'm not willing to beat him too much. It's tough. Almost everything that we could make beautiful on our own in this world is fleeting. But what Mary says about the, or what Jesus says about the beauty Mary chooses is this. It won't be taken away from her. What a great promise that you could pursue something with your life that could never be taken away from you. That as long as you were willing to choose it, as long as you were willing to simplify and put other things down that you might grab hold of it, as long as you were willing to prioritize, that you could grab hold not only of what you need, but you could grab hold of it in a way that it cannot or it will not be taken away from you. It's not the drive of the person choosing that makes a goal lasting and effective. It's whether or not what they're pursuing is lasting and effective, right? It's not not my determination that means that what I'm pursuing will become eternal. It's whether or not it's eternal in the first place that decides whether it will be eternal. So there's nothing wrong with, with what Martha's doing, and there's nothing wrong with pursuing this idea Uh, of making things better. It's just always important. And what I think Jesus wants Martha to realize, he's not saying, don't ever clean your house again, Martha. It's a waste of time. What he's saying is it's limited. It's got limited value. At best, it's less important than the one required thing. And at worst, it pushes you away from God. Because you get anxious like Martha. You get busy like Martha. So you're busy instead of fruitful. You're anxious instead of whole. And you become bitter instead of beautiful, right? And and I think that that is is Jesus' message for us today. As, As we look at going into another year. Is that God's call in our lives isn't that we would become better people for His glory, but it's that He would restore the broken things to beauty for us. And that as we live out of that, people would see that beauty. So really quick, um, as, as I was praying through this, I felt like that there were kind of three groups that people might fall into um, when it comes to the response to this message and the response to what God is saying today. Um, and, and the first group is people uh, for which this is a busyness issue. You're, you're just too busy. You're, you're, doing, you're, you're running around doing a lot of things, like Martha. And a lot of times the reason we're busy, it's a trust issue. We want to We want to cover all our bets, right? We want to make sure that we're going to be okay. We don't really trust God to take care of us, so we need to take care of everything. And, and that can be exhausting. Sometimes it's, a, it's an issue of what defines your beauty. You're busy with things because you're afraid that if you stop being busy with all these things, people are going to realize that you're broken or that you're ugly or that you're not as impressive as you'd like them to think you are. I don't know. But, but if that's you, if it's a busyness issue for you, if the thing that God's speaking to your heart today is that you're just too busy, I think God's call to you is, that, is to simplify. And, and to specifically simplify, to be okay with letting something drop. It's okay. If not every... Dish gets cleaned and put away tonight. It's okay. It's hard for me to hear. I'm the dish person in our house. It's okay if you don't get to the gym this week. It's okay if you ate dessert on a day that your diet plan told you it wasn't okay to eat dessert. Right, your, your beauty is not defined by these things. It's, it's not that there's something wrong with them, but it's not defined by these things. And maybe your resolution is to give some of those things a break and to take your hands off of them and say, I've let these things define me too much. The second group, um, it's, it's what, I, what I was calling a beauty issue. And that's where is your focus. It's not, a, it's not that you're just doing too many things. It's that you haven't really put the one required thing first. And so what you're looking at is becoming what you look like. And it's not that you need to quit that thing or stop doing it, but that you need to find a specific way to start making the one thing that's required a priority. And I don't know what that looks like for you. There was a year where, for me, it looked like starting out the year uh, doing a prolonged fast. I don't know what it looks like for you, but, but I would encourage you to find a way, if that's you, if you feel like, you know what, it's not that I'm too busy, but my priorities have kind of shifted and, and I don't know that I'm reflecting God as much as I'm reflecting other things. Um, but I would encourage you to find a specific way to do that. It might be that when you drive around in your car and you drive to work, uh, you just turn it off and you just spend time saying, God, I'm here. I'm here to be in your presence. And instead of listening um, to, I don't know, Neil Bortz or whoever you listen to when you're driving in, um, it might be um, that you choose, instead of sleeping in an extra 30 minutes to get up 30 minutes earlier and say, God, this is me being in your presence. It might be at night. I'm going to choose to be in your presence. It might be something you do with your family. But for some of us, it, it's, it's reshifting our priorities. And, and I would encourage you um, to find a way to make the one required thing primary for you. And then the last thing is this, and this is something that specifically as I was praying for us this week, that I felt like the Lord said, is that for some people it's a bankruptcy issue. Um, and, and the best way I can explain that is I'm going to go back to lay Mis, Mis for a minute. Um, there's a character, the name escapes me, uh, the actress plays her is Anne Hathaway, but she's, uh, she's a woman early on in the movie, and she sings this song that's pretty popular, I guess, called I Dreamed a Dream, right? Are you familiar with this? Um, and, and this song is essentially the story of a woman who at one time believed in things, but, uh, but failure and disappointment and brokenness basically beat it out of her. And, and she doesn't believe or hope anymore. And I think one of the reasons, it's not the only reason, but I think one of the reasons people may not make resolutions is because they have a sense that nothing is ever going to change, that things can't get better, that you tried that, that you doubled down on the idea of beauty in your life, of wholeness in your life at one time in the past, and and you got hurt. Somebody you prayed for to be healed didn't get healed, and they died. Somebody um, that a a situation uh, that you had hoped for, didn't happen and it let you down. I don't know. But, but if that's you, I, I think that, that God's call to you today may be just to believe again, just to hope again. You know, we talked about God's new normal that comes through Jesus, that, um, that hope and joy are what Jesus comes to bring us. Not because we earned it, that some of us aren't just sort of better Christians who get hope and joy and others don't. But that's for everybody. And and today it may be you saying, I I don't understand, just like the song said, but I'm going to choose you, God, today. I'm going to move towards that thing that scares me again. That thing that I believe you're calling me to. but, But I'm afraid to hope for. I'm afraid to step into. And I think that that may be today what it means for you to choose the better part. So the ultimate question is, can we resolve to have a Mary-like focus? And it's tricky because you can't really view this like a resolution. That's, the, that's where the metaphor falls down. This isn't a New Year's resolution to choose the better part because a relationship should never be like a resolution, right? Like I don't say to myself, I'm going to resolve to love Jane this year and then on January 3rd when I'm not loving towards her say, all right, I'll try again next year, right? Like Jane's my wife if, <laughs> if you didn't know. So that's not how it works. You know, 50% of New Year's resolutions fail uh, before the end of January, and 90% fail before the end of March. And that's not how relationship works. It's not how relationship was made to work. And so we don't we don't look around and say, all right, Jesus, I'm gonna try to choose the better part this year. And on January 12th, I didn't choose the better part. So I'm out. That's it, I'm done. It's not that, it's a moment by moment choosing. And it's a choosing that most of the time goes unnoticed by the world and unapplauded by the world. And it's a choosing that sometimes actually can result in negative press for you. Because it looks like you're actually choosing to do less rather than more. But it's intentional choosing over time that works towards a life of fruitfulness for God. We're going to take communion in a minute. And um, we have people, I think, that are already uh, ready to serve and pick to serve communion. So if you guys can go ahead and come forward and grab that. You know, I talked about God wanting us to simplify. And it's interesting. A lot of times we can associate simple with easy. And it's not always the case. You know, just because God wants us to simplify can be one of the hardest things that we've ever done to simplify. See, communion is a simple act. It's a simple act. It's it's walking forward, taking bread that you didn't buy and a cup that you didn't purchase and, and dipping the bread into the cup and saying, I need you. It's a simple act, but it's not easy because what it's saying is I need you more than what I can do for myself. I need your presence. I need, not only is the one thing the thing that it's required, but it's the one thing that I really need. And that's not easy because there's a lot of stuff that we have to let go of in order to do that. And, and so as, as we come forward uh, to take communion, uh, the, the one thing that I would say for all of us is it's an opportunity as we leave behind uh, 2012 and step into 2013 to, to let go of some of those things. If it's guilt for not measuring up, if it's sin, stuff you knew that you weren't supposed to do, but you did it anyway. If it's fear, if it's anxiety, if it's doubt, letting go of those things and saying, God, I'm coming forward new. I mean, one of the great things about a new year is is that hope. And, and today I think that that God can even use that idea of hope in our lives to, to bring us back to hope as we take communion. So as we come forward, I just ask you to come forward with a heart that says, God, I'm letting go of those things, and I'm taking you in, the one thing that's required. And we're also going to have people, uh, some of our ministry elders can come forward, or uh, some of our prayer people can come forward, and they'll be available on these sides. Um, I don't know if you've been picked or not, so if you just want to come forward, if you're a ministry elder, that would be great. Um, and um, we'll be available to pray with you. And it might be one of those issues or it might be something completely different that you need prayer for today. Specifically, if you have felt bankrupt. Um, I think that that's a word that God has for us today. That if you have quit dreaming because your dreams have left you bankrupt, that God wants to restore that hope to you. So let's pray and we'll get communion started. Is there a, where's the gluten-free? This one? That one? Okay, there's the gluten-free if you need that. And uh, the other stuff is right here. So let's pray and, and go ahead and you can come forward. God, thank you um, that you have new hope for us. God, thank you, God, that you're never as concerned with our yesterday as you are with this moment. God, I pray that we would live into that hope in this moment. I pray that you would help us let go of the past things, God, that we might live into what you have for us, that we might live into fruitfulness, that we might live into beauty and wholeness, and that we might live into hope again. We ask that you come and minister your own hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Dreams of mercy, never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melody sun, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise His name, I fix upon it. Name of God's redeeming love. To that love has blessed me, thou hast brought me to this place, and I know thy hand will bring me safely home by thy good grace. Jesus sought me with a stranger, wandering from the fold of. He to rescue me from danger Bought me with His precious blood To grace, a greater debtor. Daily I am constrained to thee. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Take and seal it, seal it for that courts above. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh. take and seal it, seal it for that, courts above. Here's my heart, I'll take and see, it, seal it for that courts about. Sing, Camel, Come thou Fountain, every blessing to my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sound, sung by flaming tongues of. Dawn. Praise his name, I'm fixed upon the name of God's redeeming love. Oh to Grace. Oh, to grace, how great a death.